0: Let's get into our study this morning. This is going to be part two. If you guys missed out on part one, uh, you guys can check it out on our uh, Facebook page. And also, I think it's on our our webpage. We've been having some troubles there, so uh, I know it's a lot easier to get it on our Facebook page. Um, Go check it out. So the title of the message is The Christian Prepper. If you guys remember last week, and just talking about what we're preparing for. Uh, There's the physical needs that everybody usually associates a prepper for, but what about the spiritual and so we dived into looking at what things that we prepare for as a Christian and as the world gets further and further away from Christ and denies God and, and more into this post-Christian uh, era that we're moving into. And uh, so we looked at all of the armor that we can put on to be able to defend against the enemy's attacks, right? And so last week we gave all of the defense items that you put on, and then we also talked about who the enemy was, right? We know that the enemy is not a flesh and blood, Correct? We're not against people. This is against principalities, against the devil, against Satan, all of his hierarchy, all of that that comes and tries to tear down the church, tear down us as believers, and uh, capture those that are outside of the faith. And so that's who we're fighting against. That's what he's given us this armor to even defend against. And so we've secured that armor in last week and going through that. And we know now that his truth girds us, right? Uh, And then we've put on his righteousness. If you guys don't remember girding, that's like that wrapping around or that the Jewish people, what they would do back, you know, they wore the the longer uh, material, and so they would pull it up and tuck it into their belts to be able to run and and be free to to fight and stuff. We know with the Roman soldier, they would gather everything together with their belts so that it would uh, have that ability to be able to fight with nothing holding them back. So we have his truth that girds us. We have put on his righteousness, not our own righteousness. It's been his righteousness. Our feet are ready to run with the gospel of peace, And above all, like it says in the scriptures, above all, we've taken up the shield of faith. And he is the hope of our salvation that we might be protected. And that's what we went over last week. And so now we're able to withstand or stand firm, like we looked at last week in the scriptures, stand firm against the enemy's attacks against us, right? So now it's bring on the attack, isn't it? I mean, do you guys really want to say that in your life? Bring it on. Let's go. Most of us are like, no, I do not want to say that. <laughs> I'm good wearing the armor, but saying bring it on, no, I don't want to have it. You know, I'm 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 doing pretty good right now. But it is gonna come. That's one of the things as we come into relationship with Jesus Christ and we've said we're a part of your kingdom, guess what? He makes us soldiers. He says we're gonna suffer like he suffered, right? We have this battle that's before us and we're responsible to it. Don't. Sit back. Say bring on the attack, especially when you know the power that's behind you through Jesus Christ and what he's been poured out. Absolutely bring on the attack. enemy's been defeated. I'm not going to live in fear. And so we have to move on to the next part, though, which is really important. Last week we talked about the defense part of it, and we're going to talk about the advance, you know, the offense. And we're going to advance in what we've been called to. So we're ready to defend, but what about the advance that we've been called to do? We need weapons, don't we? the fun part. We need weapons to fight. And weapons are fun, aren't they? Not that I own any. This is being recorded. I have none. They all went down with the boat that the okay? sure yours did too, if you ever had any. Weapons are a lot of fun. They are what help us to fight, not just to defend, but also to have that defense. But we don't want to just stop what we did last week and just end there with what we have to protect ourselves, because then we would have to use those items to fight, right? So it'd be like taking off the belt and going and smacking those guys. You don't want to do that because that unravels everything. You take the truth off, or you take the breastplate of righteousness to try to smack somebody. Well, then you're left open. The vitals are left open, and so he's given us different weapons to be able to fight against the enemy, and now we have countless weapons. If you guys would turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1, this is what he tells us that we have, and he's not directly talking about the weapons, but as believers, this is what he says we have when we fall after Jesus Christ and we've made him head of our life, Lord of our life. Second Peter verse, or chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. You guys see that? It says, what? All things, doesn't it? He has given us all things. That's everything. And we could go on and on with everything that he's given us. We could go through all of the different uh, weapons that he's given us, and some of these weapons, they're, they're going to be a little unusual. You guys ever found that? Like when you're going through and God calls you to do something, something you need to defend against, and it's such an unusual weapon that he says, here, use this against that, that, that enemy, right? What I mean by that is we can take some different examples out of the scriptures. So, If you guys want to turn, I'll just warn you guys, we're turning all over in the Bible this morning, okay? I got a lot of scriptures. It's really hard to say which ones we're going to walk through. So please take notes this morning. I'm going to have so many scriptures I want to give to you guys to be able to go back and research these scriptures and even do a more more profound study. I couldn't bring everything uh, last night or this morning and everything that I wanted to go. And we could talk about these weapons forever. I mean, they're awesome, and the Bible is full of them. So let's turn over to Judges 7 for this example of God giving one of his men unusual weapons to fight against the enemy. Judges 7. And you guys have probably heard this story about Gideon, right? Gideon is a fun one. He's one of my favorites just because he's so crazy how the Lord uses him. I love how he just turns to, and he turns to the Lord and doesn't even look back, you know, and uh, he gave everything. And so we see him in this battle that he's going to have with the Midianites and the Amalekites. And... The weird weapons that God gives them, first of all, he calls the people to arms, Israel, and there's 32,000 guys that show up for battle. It's a lot of guys. God says, you know what? I'm not going to have you. This is all in chapter 7. I'm not going to have you use all these men because I want the glory. So what's going to happen is you need to tell all these guys, anybody that's afraid or anybody that needs to go home and be with their families, you tell them that it's okay that they go. They lost 22,000 men. A third of the guys, that were like, nope, not today. I'm going back home. My wife says she needs me back at the house, so <laughs> I'll see you later. And 22,000 checked out in that one moment. And still God was like, no, I want I want even less. I want people to know. I want Israel to know and all the other nations to know that I am the almighty God. And so he says, have them go drink the water. And, you know, he, he narrows it down to 300 men, hey, 300 guys. 300 guys against, and we don't know what the number is over in, in uh Uh, verse 12 of chapter 7 it says and their camels this is the enemy and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude now the camels were more the advanced weaponry right Uh, you get up top and you could go and kill guys a lot easier they had enough camels they couldn't even count So they're going up against a huge army crazy not exactly like the movie 300 but you got 300 going up against a bunch of people here but it's all about God and what he's using so the first unusual weapon he gives them is 300 men against an army that you can't even count. Then what he does, the next thing he says to them, he says, I want each one to have a trumpet. Okay, guess what? When you take a trumpet, you either got to drop your shield or your sword, right? As you're using your hand, you only got two hands. Then he says, I want you to take this empty vase and I want you to put a torture inside of it. So now what do you got? Both hands full, right? These are unusual weapons. Why in the world would you go into battle, especially with 300 guys, And go in with your hands full of stuff that does not kill. Why would you do that? It's because God wanted the glory, didn't he? God wanted the glory, and so he gives man unusual weapons, and he goes in. Let me find my page again. It's a little windy up here. And I want to pick it up in verse 17 of chapter 7 there. And he says, and he said to them, now this is them getting ready to go into battle. So he's telling his men. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred of men who were with him came out to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. So it's nighttime. Just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three uh, companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that they held. They held the torches in their hand, their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his com- companion throughout the whole camp and then they ended up fleeing off to these other places that is awesome that is unbelievable isn't it he's got it and i love how it says that they have their he, he's very clear on it they have their right hand with the trumpet and left hand with the vase or the torch right so he's, he's very clear like there's no way you're going to either have a shield or a sword in that hand but what do they cry out what does he say to cry out the sword of the lord right that's who's fighting their battle, and then the Lord ends up taking the whole army and putting them against themselves to where now they're fighting each other with their own swords and taking them out. I think it's hilarious, especially because it's, it's so unpredictable, and the Lord loves to use unusual weapons because he gets the glory, and so we see that happen there, and they cry out. Another one that we see is you guys can go through Matthew 5 with the Beatitudes, and you can look at that. Those are completely contrary to what the world has, and God. Jesus goes through with his disciples, and he says, blessed is the man, you know, that is, and he gives them a whole thing that's completely contrary to what the world would tell you, just those unusual things. Another one, more practical that we can understand, here's, here's a weapon in how we would see it, okay, this is how it would play out, this is our application, if you guys, you don't have to turn over there, but Proverbs 15.1, Proverbs 15.1 tells us that how to deal with wrath, right? So with wrath, the world says, if anybody comes up against you and does anything, then you deliver either the same or even more harsh back at them, don't you? So if anybody's going to come up and yell and scream in your face, you get right back in their face and do it to them. If anybody, you know, shows you their IQ out the window, flips you the bird, then you're supposed to, as the world, give it right back, right, with the horn and everything else and maybe chase them to their house to intimidate them. However, I don't do that. I'm just saying. I know a guy. So... (laughs) We don't, we're not supposed to do that. That's what the world tells us. That's how you fight wrath. And then here's an unusual weapon that God gives us. In Proverbs 15:1. he says, hey, give them a soft answer. What? Wait, they're pouring out their wrath on me, and you want me to give a soft answer? And he says, no, a soft answer will turn away the wrath, doesn't he, in that proverb. And if you don't believe that proverb, he gives us another one in Proverbs 25:15, and he says, a gentle tongue breaks a bone. Now, breaking bones usually happens by very strong people, especially in a battle, right? that's who breaks bones. But he's saying a gentle tongue. It's so unusual, this sword or this weapon that he gives us to be able to fight against these things that are not of him. And it's hard for us because it's not practical. It's like us going out to battle with a jar in one hand and and a trumpet in the other, right? Knowing, I'm going to (laughs) die. I'm going to die today. That's not the way. With the Lord, he is our sword, and that's what we're going to look at as far as our different weaponry. And like I said, there are many weapons the Lord gives us. We're just going to focus on two this morning because that's what Paul chose to focus on in Ephesians chapter 6. But let me give you some of the other uh, weapons that we have. And I know I said last week we'd talk a little bit more about fasting. But as I got more and more into this study, I felt like the Lord just really wanted to focus on his word and prayer. And so one of the first ones, a weapon the Lord gives us is fasting. Another weapon he gives us is forgiveness. And that's, that's a very powerful one, isn't it? Uh, generosity. I love generosity. Generosity just diffuses any situation. It's so hard when somebody's so kind and generous with you when you're upset with them, and it kind of just deflates the whole thing. Fellowship. Fellowship is a great one. Us gathered together here is an awesome weapon against the enemy. That's why why people and the enemy puts it in their head that they should not uh, gather anymore. You know, go find your own place. Go do church in your own house and all the lies that he delivers. Clear conscience is another weapon. Wisdom is a weapon. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied, right? So you can know everything about the Word of God, but if it's not rightly applied, where's the wisdom? Wisdom is a weapon. Testimony. Your testimony and what Jesus Christ has done in your life is a very powerful weapon. And one of my favorites is love. Love, right? Love conquers all things. And so there are many more, but for today, this morning, we're going to end up going through just the two that Paul focuses on in Ephesians 6. So let's go ahead and read Ephesians 6, uh, verses 17 through 20. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, the utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And Lord, as we come before you this morning, I pray you would just light up that path that you want us to go down, where you want us to research, where you want us to focus in on, Lord, and, and uh, that you would just teach us through your word. It's so good, Lord. Your word is so rich. I love it. It was so nice to go through last night with different people and again this morning. And Lord, I pray you just bless this time as we go through. And Lord, we really want to know. We, we, this is a very familiar part of scripture, but I pray you just open it up to us like we haven't seen before or maybe encourage some things you encourage encouraged us in the past and remind us of who you are and what we have in our hands uh, to be able to fight the enemy, that we don't have to live in fear and doubt and, and be stressed out in this life, Lord, that we have you, awesome, powerful God. And so I pray that you would just fill me with your spirit as you speak through me and use your word just to pierce our hearts, Lord, that you would be glorified this morning, that we would want to leave here just singing your praises like in Psalms 150. And so... Lord, we do want to just lift you high and glorify you and just praise you for who you are in our lives and what you continue to do. And we just pray you bless this morning. Amen. All right, so we have the first weapon is the sword of the spirit, right? Now, it says there that the sword of the spirit is what? It's the Word of God. We don't even have to go guess and try to make uh, this whole other thing of this is what I think it is. Right here in the Bible, it says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It's what you guys have in your hands, the Word of God, powerful. The very heart of God given to men in their own language. Isn't that awesome? The heart of the Creator has given you so that you might know Him better. You might know his character, that he might change you more and more in likeness of his son through this powerful, powerful words that he's given us from his own heart. His word is truth in which we're to abide, right? If we struggle with the idea that his word is not absolute truth and divine, guys, I would encourage you, please come and talk to Sean or me or one of our elders. I would love to talk to you guys. If there's any doubt in your mind that this is not completely 100% divine from God, I'd love to sit down with you. I struggled with that when I first moved out of the house. I wanted to know if it was for real. So I started researching, and there is so much evidence for this being absolutely divine, inspired by God. And it is so cool how it just goes together. And the more and more, if you guys have that doubt, I would say probably you have not been in the Scriptures in the way that God has asked you to be in the Scriptures. Because when you tear these Scriptures open and you dive into them every day, you can't walk away saying, yeah, it's probably not true. There's something going on, and it's a hard issue. I would love to talk with you, not to bring you down in any way, but to encourage you and to challenge you in what your thoughts are. I know Sean and also our elders would love to speak with you about that. I can't tell you guys how much I love God's Word. It is so pure. And yes, there's hard times in my life where I'm not reading it every single day. I mean, it's very practical for me. It is a struggle sometimes to get into the Word, right? Especially when I come up against uh, uh, Leviticus or, or, you know, some of the, the other prophets. It's hard to get through, but There's so much blessing in the Word of God and knowing it. And so we have the sword in our hands, right? Now, how do we use this sword? How are we supposed to use it? It's to cut down all the flesh around us that oppose God and our righteous anger. Is that how it's supposed to be used? right, I'm going to go out and just whack everybody down. That is not our place. We're not supposed to be doing that. That's God's place, isn't it? That's Jesus Christ's place. If you guys no, the scripture in Revelation nineteen fifteen it talks about Jesus being on the horse and that sword coming out of his mouth, right, and taking down the enemy. This is after the age of grace. This is when everybody is denied and said, "Absolutely, I want nothing to do with you." Judgment comes from Jesus Christ as He comes back to conquer as the conqueror. That's Revelation nineteen fifteen. So, where to use the sword? Is the Spirit intends for us to use it? If you guys see what it says there, it doesn't say in the sword of the Christian through the Spirit. It says the sword of the Spirit, isn't it? So who's the one that should be in control? The Spirit. Who's the one that's just wielding it? We are, right? We're just fortunate enough to have it in our hands. It's an awesome thing. Now, the Spirit has specifically designed, and, and there's purpose behind it, and so there has to be a way it's used. Just like a bladesmith or a swordsmith makes a sword for a very special attack you guys don't know, I'm going to take you through a little bit because I do like swords. I've liked them since I was a little kid. I don't know all the names, and I've kind of gotten away from it, but each swordsmith designs a sword in a very specific way and how they're supposed to be used on the battle. So I'll just give you a couple of them just to see that even with us, we've made them in special ways. There's a a long sword or a great sword, which is usually the typical huge ones that you've seen on like Braveheart or any of the old medieval ones that are just massive. You have to hold them with two hands, really long, sometimes as tall as a guy. And uh, you'd see it with Conan and the Barbar- Barbarian or any of those old shows. And that was one that was just meant to go in there and just bash and cut through weak armor. It seriously was that way. They had a way that they'd have to swing it keep the momentum going. It was always in an eight, and they just keep going and going after the, after the people as they're in battle. Very brutal in those times. Then you have a short sword, which is more of the one that we've seen with the Romans that they have. You know, it's a little bit shorter, one-handed, and uh, you use it for when you're in close combat. And you can really get into the armor or you can slash with it, depending on what type it was. There was a double-edged sword or there was just a single-sided sword. But these swordsmiths had specific designs for their armies. We know that the Roman army was very successful because of their swords that they designed. Another one is a foil or a saber, and that's used in fencing. You guys know Fencing. Very skinny little sword, right? And they used this one in the medieval times because they had the big, like, Excaliburs that would slash through everything. And then they came up with the fencing ones that they found they could go through the harder armor because they also had to develop their armor to go against these now bigger swords. So their armor became even more. So you had knights, right? You have this, uh, this chain armor all around them that could block against the long swords. So they made these skinnier swords that could get into the little cracks and everywhere on the armor and go through that chain metal. Another one is, a, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this one right, but I do like these. These are cool. A shamshir. It's a Persian sh- sword. And it's the ones that had that big old curve on them, right? And they could go in there. You've probably seen an Indiana Jones, that one guy that wants to go fight Indiana Jones and he just shoots him with the gun. Great part. <laughs> Didn't work that time for him. But they were designed because the Persians, they were uh, a people that used horses. So they're cavalry. And if you guys even know in the Civil War that a lot of the guys that were uh, the cavalry had curved swords. And that's because when they would run through the crowds, they could slash them. And because of that curve, it cut a lot more than just a straight sword. And it wouldn't get, I don't want to get too graphic, but they wouldn't lose their sword. And, you know, (laughs) then I have the last one as a katana. Uh, you guys know that one, a Samurai Sword. Uh, they're known to be one of the hardest ones ever made, like the steel, they, they break through anything. You've seen them cut other swords down, and one of the sharpest swords ever made. And those ones were designed to go along with martial arts. And uh, very cool. And if you guys ever watch demonstrations, it's pretty neat. Well, these are all ones that these swordsmiths had designed specifically to be used in different ways, right? And so the spirit, he is very purposeful also in his sword. We see this in 2 Timothy. 3:16 if you guys would turn over there with me. Second Timothy. Second Timothy 3:16, and you guys are probably familiar with these two scriptures 16 and 17. But they look at how purposeful it is. the, the scriptures, how the spirit uses all spirit, spirit excuse me, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. For reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is very purposeful in what the Spirit has the word for. Also, the Spirit uses the word of God in a very powerful way. If you look over at Hebrews four two, just to the right a little bit in your in your Bibles there, Hebrews four twelve. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's very powerful, isn't it? That's the word of God that it's talking about. And that's why we go through it every day. And that's why we devote our time to it is because it does that. It, It takes out the hypocrisy in us and and challenges us in what we're walking in, makes us to where we're not religious, but rather we'd seek after a relationship. It's an awesome thing. So don't be misled. Like I said before, this is not our sword. It is his to be used. Uh, if you guys look, or you don't have to turn over there, but taking notes, 2 Peter 121. 2 Peter 121, it talks about how they were moved with the Spirit when they wrote the Scriptures. He is the one that's behind it. He is the author, he is the inspire of the Scriptures. So in 2 Peter one they they're moved by the Spirit. Also in Acts 1.16, it talks about Peter as he's given his uh, sermon to the people, to those thousand people that were there. Um, he speaks of how David was used by the Spirit, that the Spirit spoke through David. And uh, again, with that. And then also, one of my favorites is Isaiah 55.11. we will turn over to that one, if you guys would. Isaiah 55.11. 55.11 says this, and it goes after he just encourages them about his thoughts are not our thoughts, and our, his ways are not our ways, and then he comes on down to verse 11. And he says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which, for which I sent it. Now, this is pretty awesome. I love this scripture because it even, I think, uh, if... We had guns back then. I think it would have been more associated with that and be able to talk about this rather than a sword, because I see two things there. He says, but it shall be accomplished in what I please. Well, you look at a gun, you have certain ammunition, don't you? You have certain ammunition for specific things. You have shotgun shells, right, that spread out, and you have even various types of shotgun shells and how big the the, the, the pellets are in them. Then you have all kinds of different bullets, right? Not just the size of them, but how much powder is in them, what bullet you have, what grain you have, what's on the end of it, is it a hollow point, does it have silicone in the end of it, you know, is it, is it a metal or, or a full metal jacket, is it a copper top or, well, that's the battery, but, you know, does it have different things? There's so many specifics and guys that, I don't, maybe some of you guys love doing it, but you will sit there and you'll figure out exactly the amount of grain, of uh, powder to put in there compared to your grain and you figure out what is the best um, uh, velocity along with range and you'll get it all mapped out and you guys, that's a great hobby wish I could do it, can't afford that kind of stuff, but I'm glad you guys get to have fun. That's him, and he's saying, I, it'll accomplish what I please. That's like he knows what kind of ammo to use. And then the next one is, he has like the radar system, okay, or he has the marker, you know, he has the laser that marks out the target so that the missiles can come in there, the bombs can come in and take it out. He says, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent. It is so pointed, and it is a lethal weapon, the word of God against the enemy. It is, and it's specifically designed. He says that there. It's exactly for what he has it set up for. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So again, we're just holding on to it, right? We're just holding. It's more like a rocket launcher. Like, all you guys are doing, you push the button, right? And he's going to take it where it's supposed to go to destroy the enemy. I want to make sure this is clear, too, again, because this is going out over the Internet. I am not talking about destroying people, okay? Okay. Again, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. This is against spiritual things, okay? Against the enemy, against the uh, the devil. So he must be the force and the director of the attacked with the sword that is in our hand. Now, the, another good reason why he needs to be able to control it is because that sword can be used to offend rather than to win. So it's really hard to control our tongues, isn't it? You guys have a good time. I mean, James says that James three two talks about how hard it is. It's like a wildfire, right? It's like uh, it, it's like a big or a small rudder on a huge ship. I'm like wherever that ship's going to go is because that rudder said it's going to go there. The mouth is a hard thing to watch out and how it's used. So it's sharp and powerful. The word of God is so sharp and powerful, like we read. And while attacking the enemy in our passion, we might end up cutting the person we're trying to help. Just with whatever verse. And the way that can happen is because we can say something like. I've gotten these three verses down, and I've memorized them, and the Lord's really spoke to me through them. And, you know, here's this person that's down in the dumps, and you're like, hey, rejoice. That's what the Bible says to do. You know, you shouldn't shouldn't have that face on you. You should be looking happy today because don't you remember who Jesus is? Like, rejoice. And then they share with you, well, I just lost somebody very, very dear to me. Well, rejoice. (laughs) It's like, would you put your sword down? (laughs) Like, knock it off. That is not what helps me right now. I know there's other scriptures that will definitely help me out, but just because you know these three powerful ones and you're always hacking away at it, that's not okay. Know the whole counsel of God. Know it all. Have the Spirit use those scriptures given you in other places to be able to walk with that person, walk alongside them, not just hack them down and tell them how they're supposed to be. In Proverbs 18, 19, I love this verse. It's a great one. Solomon pointed out, "It's very you need to be very careful because, and here's what he says in, in Proverbs 18, 19. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And you guys might know somebody in your life, okay? And maybe you guys even are in this place. But there's been people that have been offended by the church or people in the church, right? Things have been said against them, and so they no longer return. They become that very hard city to conquer anymore. And, and they've gone off and like, I'm not going to get hurt again. I don't want to deal with that. I'm fine where I am in my relationship with the Lord. I totally love him. But I'm going to stay in this place. And if you guys are here, like back off of something like that, you've been going through that, I encourage you to continue in this fellowship. Yes, you might get hurt. Guess what? We're all people. And, and we can be pretty mean sometimes. And sometimes we use our swords in a very bad way and hack people. But be generous, be gracious to us, just like we want to be with you. Those of you guys that are listening online, too, that have not come back to, the Bible says don't forsake the gathering together of the brethren. It's so important that we're together, especially in these times. So I encourage you guys, don't listen to the enemy and what he's trying to bring you down. Rather, fight it with the Word of God. Going back and saying, no, this is what I'm supposed to be doing as one of his chosen ones. And so, a brother offended is harder than win than a strong city. And so, spiritual guidance is needed to wield the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. So, let's look at some examples here. Let's look at some examples of what's being used in the scripture against the enemy. Some different people I can point out and how they use those scriptures. And of course, Jesus Christ is going to be one of the best examples ever, isn't he? We can follow after him and see that his examples are awesome. So if you guys want to turn over to Matthew 4, we're going to see here in those temptations that the enemy gave him, trying to bring him down. If you guys know this is right after Jesus was baptized by John. And it says that the spirit led him out into the wilderness, Right? And then the enemy comes to him after he's been out there for 40 days and 40 nights and tries to tempt him into uh, basically sinning um, so that he wouldn't be the righteous lamb, that he'd take that title away from him, and then man would be, of course, hopeless because we wouldn't have a savior anymore. And so it was a key thing that the enemy was trying to destroy him. So in Matthew 4.4, 4, right after he goes through it, let's look at 4.3, sorry, where his enemy attempts. He says, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Let me tell you guys, if any of you guys have been out there in Israel you know, on one of those trips, as you go outside of Jerusalem and you're going over to Jericho, that's the wilderness that they believe that Jesus was out in. And it is ugly out there. I mean, even uglier than Pueblo, okay? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I know, it's fighting words right there. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, all right? Ever since I've been in the Springs, tease Pueblo, okay? Don't take it personally, just, just fooling around. But it's ugly. There is no shrubbery. There is nothing out there except for these brown rocks that are everywhere. And they're about this size. And if you guys ever been to uh, Outback? They have those nice brown loaves of bread, right? They bring that knife in there and, ooh, that, that delicious butter with it. Some good stuff. These stones look just like that. When I was out there, I was like, no wonder. That would be so hard. Here these stones are, and you have this, this contrast of this, this, like, blonde, you know, tan sand or, or, or gravel there. And then these, these dark brown Stones that stand out everywhere. And you just look at it and you're like, wow, that would be a lot of bread. Well, Jesus, at the very end of his fasting time, we know he went out there, he didn't eat anything. And if you guys ever fasted for a while, after about a week or two, you end up not having any of the hunger anymore. It goes away. And then it comes back when you're about to die. That's called starvation. Your body's like, okay, get something in you or we're going. We're done. Jesus is at that point. It says that he was hungry again. So the enemy comes at the opportune time and says... Why don't you make these stones into bread? But here's what Jesus does. He uses the sword, okay? And he's doing it by the direction of the Father. And we'll get to that verse in just a second to prove that. But he says back to him in verse 4, He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right back at the enemy, right? Defeated. And you guys know a sword can use the block, but then Jesus throws right back an attack at him, doesn't he? To shut him down. He, Jesus took that from Deuteronomy 8.3. Now, Jesus was directed, we know, by the Spirit, by what the Lord wanted, because in John 8.28, Jesus said, I say nothing of myself but that which the Father has told me. Okay, Everything he said came from the direction of the Father. So, even in this, the Lord is letting the Lord, uh, uh, God, the Father, His Spirit, direct him in how to use that sword. It's a great example for us if Jesus did it. The next one he gets... Uh, tempted by the enemy in verse six, he says, "If you are the son of God, so basically prove it to me, prove it to everybody around. Throw yourself down, for it is written." And now the enemy tries to pick up the sword, doesn't he? He goes over and he says, "Wow, look at the power behind this sword. I'm going to go ahead and pick it up and use it as well." So he says to Jesus, "He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone." Okay. Now Jesus could sit there and be like, "Yeah." That's true. Okay. And many of us have done that. If you do not know the whole counsel of God, if you don't know the scriptures, the enemy will definitely come and use those against you. There was a guy that I can't remember and I'm sorry I tried to look it up. Uh, He's he's an awesome uh, evangelist now. Uh, But when he first went out on the streets when he was in his 20s, they were going out to evangelize different people and he came to this homeless guy and he says, hey, I'd love to share Jesus Christ with you. And the homeless guy goes, let me see your Bible. He takes him to an Old Testament scripture, and it says, you should not preach to those that do not know God, <laughs> right? And it's completely out of context, right? We know that. But he says, there you go, and he hands back the Bible, and the guy's just stand there like, uh, have a good day. <laughs> I mean, you got me, right? He didn't know his scriptures, and that really made him want to go in. And I may have been uh, Charlie Campbell. I can't remember. As an apologist nowadays. And that really gave them that hunger to be able to go search the scriptures to be able to use the sword in the right way. So the enemy comes up there, and there's many times where we've had that too, where the enemy will use something that's so convincing, and we completely shut down and retreat back to fear, to depression, um, to isolation, whatever it is. But we have to know our scriptures so we can have that block with the sword and then have the counter to make the enemy go away. So Jesus' counter was this in verse 7. It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. It's a written again. He's like, hey, listen up. These are powerful words. It's written, okay? And he took that scripture from Psalms 91, verses 11 and 12. So then the last one that he takes him through, he says in verse 9, and he said, all these things I will give to you. After he went over all the kingdoms and showed Jesus all that, the high mount, went up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall, will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, and this is interesting to me because these are actually temptations to Jesus. So Jesus would have been tempted to do that, which is so interesting to me in his humanity. But he showed himself to be perfected, didn't he? And in verse 10, he says to him, he says, Away with you, Satan. Get out of here. Be gone. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I love and appreciate how quick these are. These are not some long-drawn-out Give me your name, devil. Give me your name. I need to know your name, you know, and trying to go through all the names of whatever's in the person or whatever's going on or, you know, this long list of things that some people teach that that's how you got to deal with the enemy. Right here, it shows so short and sweet. It is written. Boom, here's the verse. Satan, get out of here. It's written. Leave, right? You guys see the power that's there? It is not you guys trying to convince the devil. It's not you having a conversation with him. That's a dangerous place to go. It is just done. Remember, Eve had a conversation, didn't she, with him? He used the scripture with her, God's word. Said, yeah, it's not really going to happen. We have to be so careful and be diligent. We're blocking with the sword and sending it right back. And the enemy will leave. Because in Luke, it says, in Luke 4, 13, that he left. The enemy left until the next opportune time. That's another thing. If you guys might win that battle, expect the enemy to come back, and usually it'll be at another weak point in your life. That's how he works. He knows us as humans. He loves to come back at a place where we're having a hard time and come and get us again. So it says they went away and he waited for another opportune time to come after Jesus. Another example, uh, before we move on, is, uh, and I'm not going to go through this. We don't have enough time to go through it this morning, but Michael the archangel, right? When he's contesting over the body of Moses with um, uh, the devil, with Lucifer, that's all in Jude 9. Contesting over it, um, there's an interesting thing that Lord actually took Moses' body and buried it and put it in a place nobody could ever find it, because Israel, his people, later on would probably raise it up and want to worship it, and that's what they think that why the contesting was going on, that the enemy wanted to take it and give it over to Israel so they'd have these bones, and while Michael's like, nope, I'm supposed to take this body and go put it over there. Interesting little thing, I can give you guys other scriptures later on if you guys want those to see all that, but when in this time in June, Jude 9, Michael doesn't even sit there and have a conversation with him. He doesn't even try to convince him, and you guys have to understand, Michael was there with Lucifer before Lucifer fell. He's one of the other archangels, right? So they knew each other, and he could have easily just went off and rebuked them on everything he's done against God over and over. I mean, he was so right to be able to do that, but he is very simplistic in how he uses the sword, isn't he? And what does he say? The Lord rebuke you, period. (laughs) That's all he tells him. The Lord rebuke you. And the enemy had to go away, and we know that the whole contesting over that body, of course, Michael wins out on that. But it was so short and sweet. That's how it is with the Word of God. Don't feel over-pressure like you've got to have all these things listed and be terrified to go and talk with people that don't know uh, who Jesus Christ is and feel like, man, I'm going to be challenged with something I don't know. The Lord is right there, and he brings things back to our remembrance. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about the Spirit bringing it back. And even if it hasn't been there, he's going to give you the words to say. He says that. And so we need to be diligent to be able to fight. There's people that are dying every day without Jesus Christ out there, guys. I hope you develop that passion and and that love for the people that are being lost out there. Let's go over the second weapon. You guys turn back over to Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 6, that second part, says in verse 18, Praying always... With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Guys, this is Paul speaking, isn't it? Paul went through a lot of stuff. He was a very, very strong man in the things that he endured for Jesus Christ. And out of all the weapons he could have chose to talk to the Ephesians about, he chose the Word of God, and he chose prayer. And prayer is such a powerful thing. Praying always with all prayer in supplication in the Spirit. Most of us do know the importance of prayer, but the discipline for prayer is another thing, isn't it? It's a very hard thing. Discipline in anything in our lives. Right now I'm trying to run more with my daughter, and holy cow, this body was not meant to run, right? Right? It just wasn't. But it's a discipline that has to keep going because there's advantages to being able to do it. What it's going to help me in the future. And you guys know exercise is an awesome thing. It brings in good things in life. But it is absolutely horrible to do and to sit down and do it. Right? <laughs> I dread it. My daughter comes to me. She's like, you ready to go, Dad? I'm like, no. Please no. <laughs> I'm trying to think of every excuse. My knee really hurts right now. I can't go with you. I'll ride a bike next to you. <laughs> haven't done that yet. But I feel like it's the same in my own life when I know I should be praying for those people, and it's like, no, I don't want to sit down and do it right now. I'll do it right before I eat. I'll do it, you know, I'll send up a little prayer in the morning, thank you for this day, or, you know, when I go to bed at night, and, and it's just, it's so disappointing. Because I know it is so powerful, and I wish that I was so much more disciplined and giving much more time to prayer. And Paul knew the importance of it, and I hope that we gained that that same understanding this morning how important it is against the enemy just like we know the exercise is important to us to help us in in this physical body so Augustine wrote this he said without God we cannot but without us God will not without God we cannot but without us God will not now there's it's a hard thing even for me and I know other people that even think that my prayers influence God that much he's the God of the universe right what do I have to do with anything, with any of the words that come out of my mouth to talk to him about? Who am I? But he asks us to do that, doesn't he? It is such a mystery why God would even let us be a part of, not only participating in his plan, but also talking with him about it. You guys remember with Moses, he's sitting there, he's like, should I go, or sorry, Abraham, should I go and tell him what I'm about to do to Sodom? Like He says that, he says, "Like, should I go tell him? God wanted to have a conversation with Abraham, knowing what Abraham was going to do. What did Abraham do? He pleaded for the people there, didn't he? And God over and over said, yes, if there's 30, if there's 20, if there's 10, right? Righteous, I will not destroy it. Because of what Abraham was pleading with him. Blows my mind. But God wants us to be a part of what his plan is. He wants that communication with us. Other examples, and we see this played out over and over in Scripture of this, proving this point that, yes, man does have an influence through his prayers and this communion with God, this relationship with him and talking with him. Another example is in Exodus 17 with Moses when he pleads with God for the people because they're being rotten to him because they don't have anything to drink. And what does the Lord do? Go over there and crack that rock open. Go hit it once, it'll open up, right? Awesome. Uh, Genesis 18 is where Abraham pleads for Sodom, if you guys want that Scripture. Genesis 32 uh, Jacob wrestling with the angel of God, right? That changed his whole course and where he was going. And also for Israel, because Jacob is Israel. And so that wrestling that was going on there, that was an example of what prayer was like. Just that wrestling back and forth and then leaving with the messed up hip. It's a good thing to wrestle with the Lord in our prayers. Luke 22. This one is a very important. We would have seen that the cross would have been intolerable for Jesus Christ without his time in the garden, right? We know that Jesus gave us that example. Always he'd break off from the group and go pray, right? Even before he gets all of his disciples, he goes and prays to the Lord on who God wants to be in that very close circle. And then he gets to the garden, Gethsemane, and he sits there and he prays, and we know that it was so hard for him that he has blood coming out of his pores, just in that despair. And what he knew he was going to have to go, and he goes to the Father to talk to the Father about it, to give him strength, to be able to go through it, to make it where he could get through it. If our Savior did that, how could prayer not be important for us to be able to talk to the with the with the father. And then in James five, sixteen through eighteen, Jesus reminds us of, or sorry, James reminds us of Elijah's prayers. Elijah was a righteous man, wasn't he? He asked that the rain would stop and it stopped. And then he asked for it to get going again and it starts raining again. Powerful. You're like, well, you know what? I'm not a prophet, so that's not going to happen. So I'm checking that one, I'm not doing that. Guys, this was just a regular guy. The difference was that he he knew and he had faith and he obeyed what the Father was saying. And he did powerful things through. Matthew 6, 6 tells us to pray in secret. Jesus calls out the guys because everybody was trying to do it out in the open to show everybody what they're doing, right? He says, hey, go into your room, shut the door, go pray that way. First Thessalonians, uh, Paul reminds us in 517 of First Thessalonians that we need to be praying without ceasing. And now, Paul was a missionary, wasn't he? He was always asking for prayer from the churches. We've seen it here in this very last part of Ephesians where he just says, hey, and for me, the utterance may be given to me, and he goes through why he needs that. Also in First and Second Thessalonians, and also in Romans 15:30, he asks them to pray for him. In Philemon 1:22, in Philippians 1:19, just Paul always was asking for prayer. Prayer is such an important thing, especially for missionaries. Now Richard Runbrand, he was a missionary and, or not missionary, he was a pastor in Romania back in the 80s, and he had to go through some horrible things. If you guys ever want to watch a video on him, go on YouTube. And there's this cool video of him. It's black and white. And he's walking through the cell that he was in. And the guy was in um, isolation, I think, for 12 years in, in solitary confinement in a tiny little room. And he's walking back and forth in there. And they asked him, what helped you survive in this little room? And he said, one of the things that was so powerful for me to hear, because I wish I could pray more like this for our missionaries and those that are being martyred. But he says, I just knew... That as I prayed for everybody I could think of as I'm going through and keeping my mind praying, praying for all these people that I knew that there's people on the outside that are praying for me. And I knew that the people in the West were also praying for me in here and the other people that were suffering for Jesus Christ. Missionaries need our prayers. People need our prayers. They're so important. I can go back to when I was a missionary on the field and tell you guys that there was very pointed situations where it was so clear that somebody prayed for me in that exact moment. And there was one instance where I got back and talked to a guy at a church, and we ended up finding out the exact hour that he was led to pray right after his lunch, and uh, it was exactly when I needed something i needed something to happen to me because I was about to do a big event and I was super sick to my stomach and I couldn't even stand up there to do it. And in just a little bit of time, it was gone. And I found and talked with him that he prayed at the exact moment of when I needed that to happen. It was so cool to have that. Like, wow. God cares about something that small, but it took this guy being obedient and stopping during his work, he just got back from lunch, to go and pray for me. Awesome things that the Lord does through our prayer. Don't ever think that it's not powerful. Paul uh, Bilheimer, he says this, "...in spite of all of their lem- uh, lamentable weakness, appalling failures, and indefensible shortcomings, the church is the mightiest, the only force that is contesting Satan's rule in human affairs." And that church, on her knees, is the purifying and preserving influence which has kept the fabric of all we call civilization from total disintegration, decay, and despair. That's all that's keeping it, guys. We keep praying and what's going on. We saw a huge movement because of prayer, didn't we, lately in the Supreme Court? That was powerful. Nobody ever thought that was going to be overturned. It's so awesome what he does. Samuel Chadwick, here's what he says. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Through prayer, we enter into his courts. Isn't that awesome? We get to enter into God's courts when we pray. Psalms 100 says that. Also, we come to the throne of grace in Hebrews 4.16 through our high priest Jesus Christ. The weapon of prayer can be, here's some different ways. If you guys ever want to pray through, and and it helps me to find scriptures that help me to pray. So if you guys want these, here's some scriptures for you. The weapon of prayer can be used as a shout of praise. Psalms 150, it's the last psalm, and it's so good because it goes down. It says, praise him for this, praise him for that. And it's basically telling you, here you go. Here's what you can praise God about, who he is and what he's done. And then the other one is we can go in and tell of our needs. We sit before God and tell our needs. Sometimes we do this a little too often, but he still wants it. He wants us to, he wants to know we're his children. That's in Philippians 4, 6. Or we have the laboring and the groanings of intercession for family members, for those we dearly love, right? We just are broken and in on our face before him pleading for them, pleading that he'll reach out, pleading that he'll send people into their life and that they'll, complete, they'll continually bring down their worldview or question or challenge their worldview that's in romans eight twenty six, and so it's good to learn from others and go and search the scriptures and to study and to pray for the saints because we have that cloud of witness that also did that the cloud of witness you guys know is found in hebrews 11 as it goes through that and it's that witness of what they did through their faith and their prayers And know worship team wants to come on up we'll go ahead and we'll conclude so we, spend, we could spend, guys, forever. I was trying to narrow this down as best as I could because when you go through and you want to study prayer, I've done it a couple times in my life, it is all over the Scriptures. A great study is to go in there and look at how different people that God used and how, what their prayers looked like or how they did it. And this morning we could have went through and went through the, the prayer that Jesus Christ gives his disciples when they come and ask him how to pray. That's another place that's an awesome place to go and put your time into and study that out. There's so many places, but one of my favorite studies I've ever done is going through and seeing how these guys spoke to God. And they're very individual in how they do it. There's the guys that talk forever and keep going and going and going. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Or there's the other ones that are more like this short and sweet, you know, right to the point, get, get after it with the Lord. And I love both of them and just helping develop how I pray and how I speak with the Lord. Never be ashamed of your prayers. Do not let the enemy come in and shut them down on you. Never be ashamed to pray in front of others. It's powerful, guys. You know what? When you're in a group of people, guess who you're praying to? You're not praying to them. Although sometimes we have little prayer circles and we're like, yeah, I need to rebuke this person in the middle of the prayer. I'm going to pray for him <laughs> and give him a prayer of rebuke. <laughs> it's not how it goes. We're talking to God. So just remember that, that when we come together, we pray to him, we worship him in those times. We're not focused on each other or ourselves. It's all about him. And so... Let's read the last little part of this where Paul closes it out here in these last few verses about the armor of God, putting it all on. He says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Perseverance, guys, staying strong, steadfast in that, not giving up in supplication for the saints. And then Paul asks them, And guys, for me... The utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He was in a hard place. He was in chains at this time and he's calling out to the fellow believers. Please guys come behind me in your prayers and pray for me. When I was out on the mission field, we had to raise funds, right? That's part of your things. You have to have finances to be able to live out there. Most missionaries can't work in the place that they're at because they don't have the visas or the proper things. So completely depend on the churches and people that are giving like you, and you guys may have missionaries you support. I always loved that, and I was so appreciative of the people, but I knew that my God could make coins come out of a fish's mouth if I went out there and fished, right? Because he did that. He says, hey, we need a temple tax. Okay, go over there and fish and get it out of that fish's mouth. God can give money anytime he wants, right? That's not a hard thing for him. The thing that God cannot do is he cannot force you to pray. He can't make us pray, And so when I was out on the mission field, I coveted the people's prayers because I knew they were having to discipline themselves and take that time out of their work week, out of their time of sleep or whatever it was, to sit down and remember me as a missionary and the other ones around me and petition and intercede for us. And it was so important. And so I'd encourage you guys again, please, God can't force you to pray, but that's why it's so powerful is because it's your decision to go before him and to intercede for others and to pray for those. Don't give up. Don't give up on your family members that need Jesus. Keep going. Keep going, guys. Don't let the enemy defeat you in that. And let's use his word in the way that he wants it to be used, right? Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you so much for your scriptures. Lord, they're powerful. Lord, they pierce me every time, and I'm so appreciative of it. I love the discipline that you bring to my life and to our life, Lord. I pray we'd be responsible and we respond to it. Uh, Lord, that as you, you ask us to do things differently than what the world, or maybe that we've practiced for so many years, that we would trust you in that, that we would have faith that that is the way that it's better to do it. And I pray that you would just show us again and again, be patient with us, pour out your mercy on us and teaching us these things as ignorant little children or disobedient children, Lord. Uh, I so appreciate your love for us and and what you walk through with us, Lord. I pray that we'd be a powerful witness to you, that you'd have the glory through our lives, Lord, that you would use crazy weapons against the enemy, that we would just walk away knowing that was absolutely you. It wasn't anything to do with us. Lord, you'd show us how to use the sword of the Spirit, where we do it in an effective way just to defeat the enemy, Lord take your kingdom. It's so awesome to be a part of your kingdom, Lord. We look forward to seeing you and cannot wait. Maranatha, come back quickly, Mm -hmm. please, Lord. Lord, I want to just again thank you for our pastor. I pray you protect him as he's on his way home and continue to guard him, that the people here would remember to continually lift him up and his family up to you, Lord. We love him dearly and his family. Lord, I also want to pray for all these kids going out this week. I pray that you would intervene in their life. They would have these awesome moments with you up on top of the mountain. Lord, I pray you challenge them in their world views and what they think. And if they're not even trying to think about that, Lord, that they would come to a realization that they need you. Lord, those ones that don't need you, I pray you speak so powerfully through our leaders and you challenge them through your word, Lord. And We get to just celebrate like you celebrate in that lost coin being found and that lost sheep and that, that son returning back home. What a cool thing that is, Lord. So I pray that would happen this weekend and just keep them safe as they're out there and give uh, our leaders all the energy that they need to be able to keep up And uh, just to guide them in the way that you want them to be guided, Lord. And we just pray all these things in your name. Amen.